Hello and welcome to the Movie Moolah podcast, where we have serious people uh, talking about serious topics, but often silly conversations, um, because that's just who I am. Um, I'm Ben Yenny, and by this point, hopefully most of you know who I am, so I'm going to introduce the wonderful Debbie Brubaker, who is who has been referred to as the queen of San Francisco independent film. She is a unit production manager, line producer, and co-producer with credits such as, sorry to bother you, uh, Big Eyes, and Blue Jasmine, and I really could go on, but uh, I'd rather actually just talk to Debbie. So Debbie, how are you? I'm pretty good. All things considered, this year's been such a bloody bust. You know, when it comes to um, anybody doing anything, and that was because of the anticipation of the writer's strike, and then the writer's strike did happen, and so for the first six months of this year, nobody's done butkus. That sounds right. Um, is most of the stuff that you work on uh, guild-oriented? Well, a lot of it is, but then again, a lot of it's not. I mean, I... There's a lot of independent films that we're going to try to go to, but they were all getting skittish because of the, um, because the they thought that the, the SAG was going to go out. So I know of a couple independent films that just pulled back completely mm-hmm. because they thought that SAG was going to strike and they didn't, they, you, know, you know, you don't want to get something, you know, all set up and ready to go only to find out that you, your actors can't work. Yeah, that is the, uh, for those of you watching um, who don't know this, most independent films don't really have much to do with uh, the WGA or the Director's Guild, and even less so the Producer's Guild, um, which we can talk about not actually being a union, but the uh, it's a... It, but pretty much every independent film has some degree to do with SAG, if they want to have any marketable names in them, because it's still pretty much vital for distribution for a lot of genres. And if you are, even if you're making a horror movie or a thriller, it's not going to hurt you at all to have a name. It's going to help you quite a lot. So that's why SAG following on in this is such a big thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, most of what I worked on when I lived in San Francisco were, was on the hyper indie side. Um, do you know of many people still shooting that sort of content out there? You know, I'm, I'm familiar with some of it, but not all of it. The, um, there are people that are doing like ultra, ultra low budget projects that are, you know, um, in the, in that don't have SAG involvement. And I've mm-hmm. heard of, of them. And I've actually assisted in a couple. But it's, it's you know, it's people making ba- basically what boils down to money under the table. Mm-hmm. Because California has um, rules about that. You can't work as an independent contractor, um, you know, in the movie business anymore. Not unless you're mm-hmm. just someone like me who writes budgets. Mm-hmm. That's the only part of it I can get away with. Otherwise, I have to be payrolled, and I am in a union. And uh, but but I can but as a freelance person, writing budgets is something that I can do because I can do it on my own time and do it whenever I want. I could work at four a.m. or I could work at six p.m. It doesn't matter. But if you're told when you have to work, you know when you have to report to work, mm-hmm. and that you're considered an employee. I mean, that's very, that's true nationally, isn't it? It's not just California. It's just not enforced nationally. It's a state by state um, edict. So there are, you know, some states you can still work as an an IC. um, But I think that it it really just depends on the state, um, how hard they enforce it. California is very militant about it. Yeah. I mean... I know there were several, like, I was, especially while I was building my rep business, I worked as a freelancer quite a lot, 
and uh i still do to some extent but my work's like yours there debbie most of that that work is documentation and paperwork and sure i'll make phone calls but i decide when i make them even if it has to be between certain hours because that's when the other people are working so it's it's a very different thing and that's kind of how those of us who operate um outside the back office work um yeah yeah um yeah so what What are some of the, what's some advice you would give to a first-time filmmaker when they're making their first movie in order to uh, not budget for, not to blow the budget out of proportion, go from like a 50 grand budget to a 300 grand budget and not quite know how you got there? It's, I know how, it's easy to get there actually. <laughs> Um, it's hard to make a movie for 50 grand. I mean, if, you, if you're talking feature film, mm -hmm. uh, you, that means that you're basically, everybody's volunteering and you're, and you're, uh, you're feeding them, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and you're bringing, you own the camera and you're running the sound through the camera and you're, um, you know, you, you've got minimal lighting package and you've got i mean there's just you're really bare bones at 50 50k i mean that's practically the lighting package i'm using now really yeah. it's uh but um it's i get a lot of films in that are like i do get a lot of 50 grand films in it's rare they look good enough to make any significant money even the ones that do come in that are the below 100,000 or even 200,000 mark, sure, a lot more of those look like they could have been made on a million like 10 years ago. But the uh, it's not easy. And in order to make even more than like maybe 30 to 50, again, it comes back to names. But at least in what I've seen. Um, there are exceptions, of course. I did work on, very lightly, I worked on a film called Skinamarink, which I think, have you heard of that one, Debbie? I have not. It's a found footage movie, and uh, it was released by IFC uh, just as I was closing up my distribution company, Mutiny Pictures. It was one of the last acquisition agreements I signed, and uh, I did... And it was one of those movies that was made for like under 50,000. It was a found footage movie. And the opening weekend for IFC was like three mil, which is so rare. Don't plan on it. It's basically the equivalent of hitting the Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity uh, yeah. lottery. Um, and it was very special for a found footage movie, but just so everyone here knows if you're making a found footage movie, you're going to have a hell of a time getting it distributed. I've gotten 30 plus um, submissions for them. I've only ever taken two. One was Skinamarink, and that's where you're going to end up. But it is one of those. The problem with making these one location scripts is that they get, if you're not really careful, they get boring. And nobody wants to watch them. Is there any advice you have on that? Because I know you were actually important in making some really iconic uh, looks of films for bigger guys. Um, I'd say, you know, it's not about... It, it, you're right. It's hard to tell a story in one location. And yet... If the story is really compelling, you know, you can do it. I've seen them. And what I would suggest people do is look at like films. In other words, look at movies that, that basically got three characters in one location and see what, what made them successful, you know, because there are mm -hmm. some there. Um, it doesn't mean that they weren't made for $4 million, <laughs> though. 
So it makes it, you know, because they had a cast, they had people that could really act. Mm -hmm. Okay. My advice to people making any kind of project is casting. Casting is pandemic. Um, I have a friend who made nothing but short films and she recently passed and we sat down at the Roxy Cinema in San Francisco and watched all of her movies back to back, which I don't think we'd ever, anybody had ever done before. And the one thing that stood out about her movies that was just, you know, stunning was her ability to cast. And, she, and it was all non-union, but she cast mm-hmm. people that could really, really act. And that to me, you know, it is the most important part of any of your making of any movie is your casting. Mm-hmm. If you, you need to cast people who really can act, because if you have any kind of a lead character that's a dud, your whole movie can tank because of one person. Oh, yeah. I'm working on this great movie right now. Um, that won't be out by the time I say anything. But it stars two child leads. And it's mainly shot in the wilderness and walking through like decrepit cities and by some miracle they were able to find frankly two of the best child actors i've ever seen in something like an eight-year-old carries about a 90-minute movie almost on his own for a lot of it and the other kid is 12 and has a notable disability in it and has that in real life too and the two of them really make this work and i was talking to the director about it and that was the longest part of pre-production was casting those kids because they interviewed hundreds of kids for the lead and it was a somewhat smaller pool for the other because of the disability but when they found them they knew and it actually works like a lot um it's not common to be able to do that with kids though it's you've worked you have worked with child actors i I just assume yeah i mean not not a lot because independent Mm -hmm. film you know you're you're gonna pay more for kids um you know we had kids on um a diary of a teenage girl Mm -hmm. horrific you know they were great and we Mm -hmm. we spent time casting you know for the for the kids but um the uh you know you have to hire a studio teacher and you are limited to the amount of hours you can work with the kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, independent film doesn't cast children all that frequently because of those two factors. I mean, you're going to have to, you know, you shorten your day and and have an additional crew person. And, you know, um, and, and depending on the age of the child, you only get so much work time out of them. Oh, yeah. I mean... I've worked with, well, I, I've gotten nearly to the shoot with a film that was almost entirely child actors. Um, you know the film I'm talking about, but we probably shouldn't say the name right now. Um, the uh, it, got ex- it got so expensive so quickly on all of that because you're like talking about 30, 35 day shoots to actually pull that off. And it's not something that's in the budget of most independent filmmakers really like we're talking if we're lucky a lot of times it's half a million um but once you're talking about an entirely kid cast you're talking like five million minimum basically yeah and making that back is an entirely different kettle of fish so um 
yeah have you noticed you sh- you've mainly shot in san francisco but you've shot all over the country right pretty much i've worked in lots of other states is there anything notable about secondary and tertiary uh film markets or film areas um that for shooting and film communities that you've noticed either on a region by region basis or just some universality to it no i think that there's a lot to be said for working in different areas depending on what you need mm-hmm. um, and and that you can you can save money i mean the, the the level in which i've been working in lately is you know in terms of writing some budgets has been you know, between the two and $3 million range for a lot of them. I mean, I have, so I'm all working in the, in the, in the teens and 20 millions, but that we don't want to talk about those today. <laughs> and um, the, the lower budget projects, um, one of them is slated to work in the Bay area and the mm-hmm. other one is slated to work in New Mexico and the New Mexico project um you know, if you're going to work in that level, you know, you still have to, you, you, you may want to work with the, with the BIA. It depends on mm-hmm. who your is and how much they need to be supported. So, um, you know, you have different, different rates depending on where you are in different parts of the country. Um, although for a, for low budget rates, you're going to be looking at a tier one you know, tier two and tier three with the IA, which makes it a lot easier in, mm-hmm. other, in some parts of the country because those pay scales are decent in those parts of the country. You try making a tier one project in San Francisco and it's difficult because that's not good pay to live here. And, you know, and New York is the same. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's tough to find crew uh, who will work it because it's it's mediocre pay in in major cities. Uh, like like New York and San Francisco or even Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Although there are a lot more people working in the industry in LA and, and want to be working in LA and want to be working people. So you'll find a crew. There's no doubt about it. But in, in smaller burgs, you're like San Francisco, you're not going to find necessarily people that are going to be willing to, to abandon all hope and jump on your ship. <laughs> no, that's a... Uh... That's very true. I shot something in Spokane uh, last December, and I've seen a lot of stuff around New Mexico and a lot of different studio areas, because when I go out to speak somewhere, a lot of times the studio invites me out because they're trying to get me to bring business a lot of time, really. Um, In southern New Mexico, there's actually a really cool studio that has a a decommissioned private jet as a set so that's that's really cool and that's kind of a hard one to find so um but then outside of like really specialty like that i i would definitely recommend uh the crew at north by up there because they're basically the only production studio in the area but their facilities are top-notch and like they have a full I don't know the exact dimension, so I don't want to say I'm wrong, but like giant green screen that you can have. It's it had to be at least like thirty feet by thirty feet, which is easy to set up for them, and that's useful. And they have basically a decommissioned, I think it was a carabiner factory that they've turned into a studio. So it's and the crafty. My god, the crafty. That was just amazing. I literally chased a burrito all over town because it was that good. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you should bring that up because I'm talking to anybody who wants to make an independent project mm-hmm. of any kind that that you're on a shoestring. Spend money on the food. You don't spend money on anything else. Spend money. You get a good cast, and then feed your crew well. I. One of the first indie movies I ever did that was bigger than anything I'd done before, which was about a million and a half when I was years ago, when I was trying to move up the food chain, I did a film and I talked 
one of the number one catering companies in Los Angeles into coming up to Mendocino and catering our show. I spent a lot of money on the catering, but I didn't, and I couldn't, didn't, and it was a non-union picture. So everybody, everybody on the um, crew, all they, they didn't get paid very well, but mm -hmm. all they got was the food. They were eating lunch and just trying to figure out what food was going to be for the very next day. I mean, that was how insane it was. We oh, had yeah. For breakfast. And at the end of the show, they held up a sign. Pete, the, the short order cook for the breakfast truck, held up a sign that said that our crew had eaten um, 300 pounds of bacon or something crazy like that. That's was fantastic. Nuts. And it was nuts. And you know, the food was phenomenal. And every show that I've ever done where I where I knew it was going to be difficult, I tried to make sure that the food was good. Craft service has to be good. And so does the food mm -hmm. catering because that way it covers a multitude of sin. It really does. It's a... You always need to pay your crew well. I want to be totally clear here, even though I am... I guess a former distributor and current producers rep on uh, the both of those titles uh, do not uh, make people happy in the independent film world. Normally um, uh, feed, pay your crew. Well, feed your crew. Well, if you can pay them up front and avoid giving them points to do it, it's so much cleaner on the back end. Everybody walks away so much happier. It's just, we understand sometimes you have to divert stuff, but avoid it as much as you can. I've never done that. Oh, really? Good yeah. for you. <laughs> never done that. I've always paid people. I mean, yeah. So the the you know, and and a lot of it. I mean, even if it's even when it was non-union, I I paid them well, and I had to pay them well enough so that they could help take the job. I mean, quite frankly, and it wasn't like anybody was making big bucks. But they were they were doing it, you know. You can find people to step into roles that they want to. And you can find the best boy who wants to be the mm -hmm. key, and find you know you can find the seconds and thirds that want to take that step up, and um and that works. And you and you're and they know they're not going to get paid as well, but they're going to get the credit. Yeah, that's what they want and that's what they need, you know, to to move forward. And they can move forward quickly, more much more quickly, you know, if they're if they're willing to take these lower paying but key positions. Yeah, I mean that's a. I'd say the biggest distinction there is that we're talking about lower paying, not work for credit, which is like I still keep my eye on the job boards, and there's so many of those, and I just can't imagine that works. It's mm -hmm. yeah. Well, let me say something about that. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Movie sets are not safe places. Mm -hmm. well, not necessarily. Unless it's three people in a room, and even then, somebody could trip over a board. You know, you you have to be very careful. Because if people are not, you know, you could lose your house, or you could lose your your ability to ever make money again. You know, you, you just you don't want to put yourself in that kind of harm's way for a movie. You just don't. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You have to, you anytime you're about to do something that you're not sure about, you're going to have to ask yourself, you know, do I want to do this because it's only a movie? Yeah. Not saving lives and you're not going to cure cancer, you know? So <laughs> you got to take, you got to take, you got to keep yourself and your crew safe. Entirely. It's a, uh, That's not to, uh, yes, I would 100% agree. Also, make sure you're well covered when it comes to production insurance. Um, the, uh, and all sorts of insurance. There's a reason for every single type of policy that I've seen there. Um, so, but having said that, I've heard horror stories about even Bay Area shoots going on um that even had some cast in them some of them i am still friends with it's uh like one story i heard that was happening in the east bay and this was like 
two digits of years ago is as far as I'll go on that um, because I'm starting to feel old that I can say that. Um, the uh, It was basically in this house that was used for um, I don't want to be demonetized so I'll say adult parties um, and there was mouse crap all over the house the catering that they brought in they cooked in that kitchen that had mouse crap all over the place and it was chicken that wasn't thoroughly cooked it, it was bad um i'm hearing this second hand um from somebody who's been on a lot of film sets that i know so it might have been embellished but even just the note of some of this is frankly insanity so it's a uh just because it happens and just because the bar can often be quite low doesn't mean you should only barely try to clear it treat your crew well make it safe don't let anybody get hurt and even just doing that will make sure will put you in a different echelon of your local uh com film community and it's not worth being in the other one no matter how much you think you're saving it's true yeah it's sorry i'm talking a lot here uh well, i should mention that we're recording this before 9 a.m debbie's time but i've got three hours on her so i've had more coffee i'm just gonna say i'm sure you had more coffee than i have <laughs> <laughs> i have but... a I left here <laughs> So, just because it sounds fun, what's the worst set you've ever been on? Oh, <laughs> I think there's probably two of them that vie for that position. Maybe even three. Ooh. No, two. So definitely, I could boil it down to two. Um, it was a, a director who was a kind of a megalomaniac. <laughs> No, really? A director? And he was also a producer and he had he had you know pretty good great actors on the movie, but the working conditions were just unbelievably bad. I mean, it was raining all the time and there was no provisions for any for for that kind of weather and I remember one famous actor was staying at this guy's, you know, one of his fancy homes um, in the North Bay, and he woke up to see his slippers floating by his bed because <laughs> it had flooded. And there was, and there, and then one day the grips called me up in the morning and they said that they had, you know, they just, they were, they've had enough and they weren't going to take it anymore. And I told them to strike. I said, quit. I said, just do not come to work today. If you don't feel like, you know, I can't, I can't, I can only do so much and I don't have the permission to, to spend the money to help you guys because you know who won't let me have it to, to do the right thing. So I'm, I'm telling you, go ahead, just step away, you know, and they'll have to deal. And so what ha ended up happening with that film is that it 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 didn't get finished with the crew that we had because everybody basically just walked away from it. And the bond company had to step in and finish it. Oh dear, don't you ever want that to happen. And it was just a disaster and it and of course it never did anything. Of Even course, great actors in it. You know, it didn't matter because you know you can take you can take great actors, but you give them a shit script and it's not gonna happen. But that one was so tough. I mean, it was so nasty and so, you know, just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's that does not sound fun. Um, 
I think mine, I'm an EP mainly. Um, so I'm not actually on set that much. Um, but so the last story I had was about, uh, was actually all the way back in film school. And it was also related to a megalomaniacal uh, director who didn't have uh, storyboards and needed everything to be exactly how it was in his head. Um, but he kept adding shots, too. And I was only the AD, and we were already running two, like, two day, like, at least two scenes behind on a it might have been more it's been a long time on uh like an eight day shoot so for his thesis and that's 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 a lot when you're only talking about a maybe 20 minute film um and the director i kept saying like look we can't keep adding shots we are out of time and the crew almost and then he said, fine, you, you, you go somewhere else. I'll be the AD and the director because I kept saying you can't do it. And the crew almost mutinied when I was there. And I just ended up saying, no, you've all put too much time into this. Don't get up on there. Nothing got done before lunch. And the guy actually came back to me saying, look, I need you here. Because the crew was basically not having any of his shit anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... I hope you haven't dealt with anything similar. That seems like some film school bullshit to me. But I'm sometimes surprised how much of what I think is film school bullshit and isn't, basically. It happens in real life, my friend, because <laughs> the group department that day was mutinying and then so other people got wind of it and no one showed up. And Fair enough. Yeah. I got to call this producer director and tell him, you don't have a crew today. <laughs> this is why, <laughs> you know, you're not feeding them. You're not giving them the right craft service. It was about food. It was, they didn't, there was no craft service. There was, the, the, there was no breakfast. It was just lunch. And it was like, not, it was subpar. That's. In horrible weather. That's so much worse um i once had a distributor tell me um don't worry too much about the crafty i mean subway has five dollar foot longs it's good enough it's like Ooh. yeah no it's i had a different one tell me yeah it's i mean like taco bell's cheap just get that it's like no like i'm okay to give you an idea, Taco Bell commercials don't cater with Taco Bell, which is actually almost disappointing to me because you'd hope you'd get like the brand new stuff that is before anything else. I mean, full confession, I like me some Taco Bell, but on occasion, but um, not on a film set that's going to wreck you the rest of the day. And normally you have limited facilities. And that's another reason to not do that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I've never been on a set that that had. Oh, I should say never, but I remember one movie that I did. God love the guy that was directing it, producing it at the same time. Started out by telling, by thinking that everybody was supposed to bring their own lunch to work with them. What? He didn't know better. So uh, the director of photography, who is is currently one of my dearest friends and who was a good friend of mine back then, told the told this director, producer, that if he didn't hire someone to come in and organize, that the movie was never going to get finished because nobody wanted nobody was going to bring their lunch. So I remember showing up for set, and the only person that brought their lunch the day that I showed up was the director and I said, I'm gonna go get food for the rest of the crew and you're gonna pay for it. <laughs> forward. You don't need to bring a brown bag. You can eat with the rest of them because I'm gonna get you I'm gonna I'm gonna make it so that your crew is happy and you're gonna you know you're gonna be able to make your movie. And that's what I did. And the budget on the movie was a hundred thousand dollars at the time. 
you know, which today would be what 250 or 300 maybe. But well, it was, yeah, the, the crew just, you know, was just so much. He, 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 I remember him coming up to me um, after the, at the end of the following week saying, I can't believe that these people reacted so strongly about food and how much happier they are. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> it's, it's the reason your mom always feeds you when you come home from college. It's <laughs> like, it's, uh, it, it seems very related to me. Um, but the, like, again, I, I've written this in like, I don't know how many blogs, but a lot of blogs. Um, like the best place to spend money on your low budget outside of cast is food. It's just always true. True. Yeah. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, it keeps people safer. Yeah. You know, you don't have such a point, a large point of diminishing return when people are fed because then they can mm -hmm. work and think. And thinking is a very important part of anybody's job. Whether you're a PA, a DP, a hairstylist, doesn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. best work on on have by being by having fuel in their system. Oh, entirely. It's I mean, I yeah, I don't know why it's such a difficult concept for some people to grasp, but it's really just a. I, I, I will be honest, though, on the distributor thing I was talking about earlier, most of those guys aren't around anymore. And while I'm sure that uh, sentiment exists and I'm thinking certain sales agencies very loud in my head right now, but I'm not going to name them. Uh, the I think the majority of newer companies and companies that have survived have under have grown to understand how important general quality of content is in order to actually selling it in the current market as well as just the ability and just how much good crafty actually helps make make that shot look better it's you wouldn't see it you wouldn't think about it but it does a lot and it's kind of to the point that even though anybody can make a film, it doesn't mean any, everybody should. And if you don't make a good enough film, it's not going to get out there in any meaningful way, even if you self-distribute it. Because you're just not going to be able to get the, att the attention on it. Um, right. I don't know if I had a point in that, but the... Yeah, so... What are you doing to fill your time uh, while the strikes are going on? Other than talking to schlubs like me. No, I I moved. I moved out of San Francisco and into the East Bay. Oh, that actually finally happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm living in the East Bay now. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> I mean, I think it was a good time for me to go. Um, just, I mean, I'd lived in San Francisco for most of my life, and I I, I could complain about where I am uh, just because it's a little bit too entitled the neighborhood I'm in. I'm, not, I'm, I'm used to more diversity. But, um, you know, I'm here to support my parents because they're getting older and it's things are getting harder for them to do by themselves. And I'm doing a lot of those things and encouraging them to have people come in and help them as well and that sort of thing. And I've been um, writing a lot of budgets, as much you know, as many as I've been getting, and it's it's, it's um, and I've been consulting with people, um, a lot. I've done, done a lot of consulting, you know, basically kind of like what we're doing now for people. It's like do this, don't do that, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, this is how much money you've got. This is what you should pay attention to, you know, because I'm I'm aware that. You know, people are going to try to do what they're going to do um, with whatever money they have. I have a friend that that has been making movies, you know, at all different kinds of levels, and they're all that they've all been low. And so he contacts me every time before he's going to start a picture, and we have a long conversation. 
So mm-hmm. that's really important to, to keep your priorities straight, you know, mm-hmm. and every show is going to have a different set of priorities. Makes sense. And I'm in development on a, on a, on a picture too. So that's, and that's, yeah. and in fact, that's what I'm going to have to spend time with uh, this week is definitely, I've got a, I've got the umpty the ump budget to write for that. <laughs> you know, everybody's going to write you. Don't feel bad when you keep, the numbers are always going to be fluid and you have to keep, you know, keep that in mind. You can't set anything into stone. So that means you've always got to have some kind of contingency. Yeah, it's. You know, a budget without oh shit money is not a budget. No, that's, I completely agree. Um, The, I. What do you think about shooting in other countries, not even just other U.S. markets, but there's a lot of surprisingly good content coming from other parts of the globe lately. Yeah, you have to remember that those people that are shooting in other parts of the globe have a good, have a connection there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, sometimes it's not always um, a money-saving thing. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the devil you know is better than the one that you don't. Mm-hmm. And so if you can if you can work in your own backyard, you probably have a lot more um, you probably have a lot more clout than you think you do for, for mm-hmm. being able to work in your own backyard. Um, you can save a lot of money working in your own in your own area. I mean, I know how to make movies in the Bay Area for less i know how to do that i mean anybody that lives in you know even if you live in flea bite nevada you can you can usually figure out a way to do something for less than if you were going to pick up and move to um um, new orleans or new mexico or oklahoma or wherever state you think you're going to save money in because it's about travel it's about you know if you're going to have to put people up you know at least you know because you're going going to the outskirts of town you're an you're an hour out mm-hmm. you're outside whatever studio zone you're creating you know it doesn't mean that you're that you're a union show it's just you can't make people travel too far mm-hmm. because it's part of their day and you don't want to tire them out otherwise bad things happen it's about safety mm-hmm. so you know it, getting rid of the travel and getting rid of the the um you know keeping it local i just really do believe in keeping it local because the you, you can you, you put more money into your own economy it's to your own benefit yeah you know, i don't you have to you'd have to show me you know you know under under a few million dollars it's not going to mean anything to go anywhere else you know yeah. what i'm saying no that you makes Unless you've got millions, you know, going to um, another country or going to another state is not a good idea. That makes total sense to me. That was a, uh... <laughs> but I'm glad to hear somebody else say it. Um, the uh, the people that I've worked with from other countries who are getting like, shock- well, I shouldn't say shockingly, but surprisingly, uh high level content from areas of the globe where we don't normally associate that with is they're able to do it because they've been operating in that scene for like a decade it's the same local thing and they've just been building favors just like everybody does when they start out um they just happen to do it in yugoslavia or maybe that's a bad example but um the but other parts of the world that would not normally be associated with high quality film especially recently coming out so that's basically it um so what is your goal for the next Let's go with two years. 
Well, what I'd really like to do is that some of the movies that are kind of in front of me on Anna that are that I've been assisting with, like, like I'd love to be able to see Boots film, Boots Riley's next movie. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to work on that. I'd like to see a couple of these little indies, the New Mexico indie and the one that's in the East mm -hmm. Bay. I'd love to work on those. They're both really great movies, which it's, it's which I haven't seen, you know, this many good independent little movies have, you know, come across my desk in a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, 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 aside from Boots film, which is a higher budget uh, picture than than the littler ones. The littler ones are less than three million each, and they're just delightful. Mm -hmm. And they're both very, very different from one another. Mm -hmm. And all three of them are very different from each other. And I think I'd like to do. I'd like to do more independent film. I mean, I'd like to just can, and I'd like to dial it down. I I I, I love the idea of doing, you know, um, I I like the idea of underdog pictures that are really really good. Because mm -hmm. I, I think that those are going to be, um, I think that those are going to be successful. I agree. I mean, like, I've been really surprised at some of the things that have been coming across my desk and uh, companies I'm consulting with desks. Um, I think there is a, a really interesting new set of independent filmmakers coming out around the globe and it's in locally too it's just the films that i'm seeing are frankly on average better than the stuff i'd been seeing before that and i'm really interested to see where this is heading because like like i said there are a couple of films that i'm just ex extremely excited about that um some of the companies i'm consulting with are working on um yeah that's I, i'm not sure how much i can say so it i am really excited about some of it though so that is one of the terrible things about both the job both of us have is in different ways how many confidence we need to keep at a on a constant level but yeah. Yeah, I can't talk about a lot of things that are happening. I can just talk. <laughs> and, and it's fine because, you know, and you, and you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the interesting part about what we do is that it's such a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, yeah, it 100% it is a crapshoot. It's just like <laughs> I was talking with a friend of mine. Um, I won't say who, about uh, another friend of mine who basically has about a 40 to 50% win rate on what he really advocates for and what he thinks is going to go well. And some of you listening to that might think that's really low. No opposite. It's a bragging point. It's huge. That's bragging, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it, That's like a four to 500. That's a... 400 to 500 batting average really that's like incredible um so the for those of you who don't follow baseball it's just really good that that's all um, but um i guess i'm still go giants on that I'm, i never switched to the phillies um the uh but but yeah no it's a it's a weird industry and unless you end up at the jj abrams level or anybody doing those giant films russo brothers um it doesn't pay what you think it pays it's never you 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 can make a comfortable living if you're good at what you do but you're probably not going to be a millionaire. But you might get to be an artist that supports yourself through your art. <laughs> but you know what? There's I don't know that any I don't know a lot of people who go into this for the money. I mean, I if you do, you're it's a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. 
none of those people aforementioned people that you mentioned they didn't go into it for the money they just no. ended up going on yeah it's, but it's a, going if you go into this business for the money you're going to be sore you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be just yeah it's not going to it's not, not going to work i mean you have to do it because of the love of the craft not because you're going to make money i mean I figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, look, a lot of the people I know, even those who uh, have released movies you've definitely heard of, a lot of them have side hustles too. I, I, I fix low-income housing. Uh, I fix and then rent low-income housing here in Philadelphia as a side hustle because it's something I feel comfortable doing. And it supports the payout structure of this wonky industry. So it's a, it's, I mean, I think Francis Ford Coppola said that he made more money selling wine in one year than he made his, in his entire film career. And that's the guy who directed The Godfather. So, yeah. It's an interesting place. Um, all of that being said, if you do actually want to make a sustainable career out of this and make a living doing it, you do need to understand the business of it too. It's not just about understanding the art and being in it for the love of it. You have to understand what you're doing and you have to understand what the market can bear and what, and, yeah. And I was, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm here to say mm -hmm. that what you're saying is so damn true. If you don't understand that it's really a business, even though people don't go into it necessarily for the money, but it is a business, and you don't understand the business, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. Because so many people I I come across have no idea what they're getting into. And it's really breathtaking <laughs> that they could could you know, dare to venture into something as unpredictable as this and not have a better understanding of what they're getting into. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's why, that's part of why I, I started a podcast and I blog to help people better understand it because it's, it's a rough business and you will make sacrifices. You'll probably make more money elsewhere, but you probably won't be as satisfied if this is what is what you need to do. That's where that's where that's why I'm still here. Um, I'd make a lot more money if I was still selling insurance, but I'd also be selling insurance. So uh yeah. Um And this the... is all I've ever done, so I don't even <laughs> know. So yeah. say much to the chagrin of my parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mom is still very mad. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, so Debbie, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I ask all my guests here as the closeout. Um, first, what are your top three favorite movies as it stands right now? It can change in 10 minutes. Could be t completely different. And you can answer that one second. But the, uh, to give you a moment to think. But um, then the second one would be if you could do one thing differently in your career what would it have been tell your younger self one thing okay so let me do the tell yourself one thing and mm -hmm. that is i would probably take more risks than i already than i did believe it or not i mean 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine not that long ago when it was more of a pandemic about how I really did have a career during a, a very golden age of independent film, at least to me, um, and especially in the Bay Area. I, I, you know, I worked on so many interesting projects and two, th actually two things. I would have taken more risk and by that I mean, I was invited to join the DGA five years before I did and I probably should have joined that five, that, the, the five years prior to that. Um, that's not as big as the one as though as taking more risks and taking on projects that, you know, didn't seem at the time that, that didn't seem as viable to me as I think, I think I, I think I should have taken more risk and then just because I could, you know, mm -hmm. and then my favorite films, I'd have Good Lord, I've got a lot of favorite films. Um, geez, Louise. I mean, everything, everywhere, all at once, as a genre, and with along with Boots Riley's film, "Sorry to Bother You." Mm -hmm. Those are in that genre. Two of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, very very strong favorites. I also really um, am fond of Dr. Strangelove, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is also one of my favorites. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on about favorites. <laughs> I don't have the top three. I did. I have probably have a top 100. And I oh, I... Order because there's, because movies vary from one end of the spectrum to the other, and it's just you know, for me, there's just so many different kinds of film, genres of film, and and examples of of fantastic storytelling. Yeah, I I completely agree, and that's part of the reason I love asking that question. The uh, I do like seeing my uh, guests get very confused and very thing because everybody who's going to be on this podcast probably loves movies. That's there's a reason we are here. There's a reason we do what we do. There's a reason we watch the terrible movie submissions we get that are worse than anybody else is ever going to see because they because they had to go through some schlub like us. Um, but the uh, I wasn't speaking personally at all. Um, but the uh, but yeah, but no, it's we just love movies and it's. I don't think anything anybody could change. And if you don't, you probably shouldn't be here. That's oh. just, it's it's not worth the heartache. Um, and then the last question, uh, where can people find you? Oh, I'm, they're going to look me up on IMDb and all my contact information is there. You can Google me and probably easily find my phone number. I mean, I'm one of those, I've never hid from the internet, really. Mm -hmm. For better or worse, I've had some interesting experiences because of it, but I'm pretty easy to find, mm -hmm. you know, so um, you're well, and, and I encourage people that have questions or whatever, if you're getting ready to do something and you feel uncomfortable, you can email me or text me or whatever. I'm not hard to find. Well, Debbie, thank you very much for taking the time to talk today. You are my third recording and uh, i don't know how that will actually be in terms of release but you are the third one um and it's always good to talk to you it's been way too long in any case this has been the movie moolah podcast my name is ben yenny uh you can find uh please subscribe to this on youtube and all of the podcast platforms you're listening it to to it on and you should also check out my free independent film resource package which is all about helping you further your film career and better better understand the business it's got a free ebook a free white paper a free investment deck template a free festival brochure template 
and quite a lot more. Um, so again, thank you everybody for sticking with us through this podcast and we hope to see you or hear you again whenever we next upload one. Thank you.